I'm Heidi. And I'm Nicole. I'm Nicole's mom. And now I'm also a mom. We created this podcast to talk about all the joyful, beautiful, and sometimes awful parts of motherhood. We aren't experts, but we do have experience. Our goal is to talk about motherhood IRL. That means in real life, mom. Yeah, thanks, Nicole. And thanks for joining us in our motherful adventures. Welcome back to the Motherful Podcast. Um, today, we're super excited. Our guest is Dawn. And I knew Dawn. How did I first meet you? You were my mother-in-law's friend. Is that kind of how we <laughs> Maybe not, because you met? were in my sister's ward, too, before that. Yeah. Okay, so, so we go back a ways. Um, I just don't know how much I remember. (laughs) (laughs) And Dawn has quite an exciting motherful journey, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to say it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that sounds cheesy when I put it that way. (laughs) But, um, she's going to have a lot of good stuff to say. I just already know it. So we're really excited to talk to Dawn. Um, but I'll read her bio really quick. Dawn grew up in Orem, Utah and went to Rick's BYU and then served a mission in Southern Italy. She graduated from BYU with a secondary education degree in history with a minor in ESL. She has always loved to teach. She taught ballet for 12 years, homeschooled her children for seven years, taught elementary school for three years, and she's the director of the We the People, the the Citizenship (laughs) and the Constitution, (laughs) which is an educational program consisting of a mock Senate hearing centered on the principles and philosophies of the Constitution. So you're really smart. Basically. (laughs) Well, (laughs) if you insist. (laughs) She says she's been married for 21 years and they're still learning every day. So welcome, Dawn. We're so excited to talk to you. Thank you. I'm excited too. Thank you for having me. Okay, uh, let's do some lightning round questions. So here's our first one. If you could have a lifetime supply of anything, what would it be? Nicole. I felt like this was a weird question, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're kind of like in a scarcity uh, time frame right now where things are. I guess that's true. That's true accessible you never know if things are gonna be on the shelves when you go to the store yeah yeah I did not get the toilet paper memo I was like what (laughs) what I was supposed to have toilet paper oh um I was that was bad I was showing a house one time and they literally had an entire closet full of toilet paper like walk-in closet like storage closet oh I get it full to the door yeah, it was pretty nice. You could trade that for anything. That's gold. Yeah, you could trade that for anything. Well, that was actually not my mindset when I was answering this question. I was thinking, what do I hate buying the most? Because yes. like, oh, yeah. you know, those things that you always run out of and you're like, how am I yeah. out of this again? Crap. Like I have yes. to buy this again. And just the first thought that came to my head was shampoo and conditioner because I hate, I just hate having to buy it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Don, do you have one? Well, I had the opposite feeling. I was like, what would I love to have a lifetime supply of? Airline tickets. Ah. Like, yep, just give them to me. Oh. I'll just go anytime, anywhere. That I was like my your first answer thing. better. If I could have a lifetime supply of airline tickets, I would be so joyful. Yeah, that would so be happy. awesome. Yes. My first um, thought was dog food and cat food because I feel like they get 
go through that so fast, but then that's a stupid yep. answer because I want more than dog food and cat food. So <laughs> then, <laughs> then you would have dogs and cats for the rest of your life and you don't exactly. really want that either. Yes. But I also don't like um, that my lettuce and vegetables get bad. So if someone could just chop my lettuce and bring me salad every single day, then I would eat uh, it more. So. Dreamy. <laughs> yep. I think I would like a lifetime supply of fresh chopped vegetables and salad. All right. So the next question is kind of going to be kind of hard for Nicole because she's uh, not <laughs> – She's just a really sweet girl. So if you were arrested. I'm not a rule breaker. (laughs) If you were arrested, what would it be for? That one was an easy one for me. I definitely am not a rule follower, especially (laughs) if I feel like the rule is stupid. And so when I asked my husband, I just said, what do you think I could be arrested for? He was like, oh, yeah, anything, anything that you don't think is constitutional or you think is dumb, you're not going to do it. And then I thought, oh, yeah, I've pretty much done that my entire life. Like, no, that's dumb. I'm not doing it. And then I just walk on and just do whatever. So, yeah, I I definitely do have that problem where not, I would not be surprised if one day I was arrested for my unwillingness to follow what I deem to be stupid rules. That's funny. Well, I think that um, if I were going to be arrested, it would probably be for something that had to do with driving. I mean, I like, I'm a good driver. I don't get tickets or get in accidents, but I just get really frustrated with other people. So it might, it might end up being an arrest situation. Yeah. (laughs) Like road rage. This lady's out of control. Yeah. Got some road rage going on. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I really could not think of anything good for this, but I, along with the stupid rules things, um, I, well, it's not a stupid rule. I, I just don't like that there's hikes that say that you have to keep your dog on a leash. Yeah. I very seldom keep my dog yeah. on a leash on trails. I'll leash her if we're like, we're going past other people or past bikers or something, but for the most part, she's not leashed. And I know that there are people who are very opinionated about that. So yes. I feel like I have to be careful what I'm saying. Yeah. But. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Our last question is what is your go-to cereal? This should be an easy question. I don't actually eat cereal that much, but when I do, it's usually frosted mini wheats. For me, I, yeah, I, I don't even remember the last time I had cereal. I have no idea. I don't like cereal. I don't like to eat cereal. I know it's weird. I'd rather have bacon and eggs and big stack of pancakes and. Yep. I'm that way too. Yep. And for a treat, I like salty, crunchy. So like give me popcorn Mm. or crackers or chips. Like that's what I'll go for over cereal. So I'm a salty, But do you have a favorite though? If you Um, had to eat cereal, would there be a favorite? If I had to eat cereal, probably Cinnamon Life. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Well, I actually don't eat cereal that much either. So I don't even know why I chose that. Why did we do this question if none of us like cereal? <laughs> or like, no, I actually don't eat it. So Because I thought it would be a quick answer. But when I do eat cereal, it is granola. And I really love it. Me too. I love granola. But you're right. I don't eat cereal that much anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Okay, Don, we read your bio earlier, but do you want to introduce yourself? Um, tell us a little bit about your family. Tell us a little bit about your mothering journey so far. Um, <laughs> I love that <laughs> mothering journey so far. That's awesome. I Okay, so I'm the oldest of five kids, and I actually grew up in a home where my mom was not really, she struggled being present. She really struggled having kids. I think she just had a lot of issues, a lot of things going on, a lot of her own traumas. And so she really was not available okay. emotionally, physically, nothing. So I was kind of the mom of my siblings mm. just growing up. And I had that role being the oldest of five and still do in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. even the mom of my own mom. A lot of times she's yeah. calling me and I'm talking to her as if, you know, I were her mother mm -hmm. and bless her. She really just did the best she could, but it was just rough. Mm -hmm. It was a rough go for all of us. And so when I um, had my first baby, my daughter, Hannah, she's 20. I did not know anything about being a mom. I had no, I, I knew that what my mom did was not good. Mm -hmm. And so that's all I knew. And so I just didn't know what to do. So I found a ton of parenting books and just read and read and read and tried really hard to learn so that I could implement different strategies or, you know, just different things because I just had no model. I just didn't know mm -hmm. what yeah. to do. Yeah. I didn't know how to be a mom. And so um, things were great and Hannah was great. And then she was about... Oh, she wasn't even that old. And I got pregnant, surprise, with my second, Tristan. And oh. she came two days after Hannah's second birthday. Mm. Three days, three days after Hannah's second. So I had two tiny tinies and was very overwhelmed. It's really hard. It's really, really hard to be the mom of littles. Mm -hmm. Just is. Yes. It's so hard. <laughs> that was, I mean, even though I've had a really hard mothering journey, that was one of the hardest times to have three tiny really? kids. Oh, yes. Oh, so wait, how so far apart is your me. son? So he's three years younger than Tristan. And so anyway, just really hard for me. I It was hard for me to be home all day with kids and not be using my brain. And it was really, I mean, I also have really, really bad ADHD. And so just not having any stimulus, any dopamine, anything exciting mm -hmm. going on. Um, it was really rough. I did not last very long before I started teaching English to adults or teaching. I started teaching ballet, just mm -hmm. doing something different to be able to, I don't know, energize myself to have yeah, something to well, get out of the house to, do, to get out of the house, to talk to somebody else. Of course, yeah. it was with little kids teaching, but it's not my kids. So it's yeah. a different thing. You know, yeah, it's, totally it's a different, different thing when it's not your kids. <laughs> It's a, it's still a break, right? It's still right. a little bit of a break. So, um, yeah, so I had them all really close together. And when Hannah was in kindergarten, I started feeling really strongly impressed that I needed to homeschool and I did not want to do that. Oh, You're like, no, my I've gosh. been looking forward to this day for so no. long. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was like, uh, no, uh, heavenly father, you have got the wrong gal. You do not know what you're talking about. We are not friends anymore. I'm not talking to you ever again. It was kind of like that. 
And so I <gasps> fought it. I fought it for years. <sighs> I fought it for several years. And I just kept feeling it, kept feeling it. So Hannah went all the way to second grade. Tristan did kindergarten. And then I started homeschooling. So I homeschooled them for seven years and it was hard. It was something that I would not recommend unless you feel (laughs) so strongly from God that you should do it because you need to, it's like a mission, you know, you're out there and you're like, what the freak am I doing out here with these crazy people and this crazy language? And I don't even know what's happening. It's that same thing where you're like, this sucks. Like, I don't know what I'm doing here and I can't go to lunch with all the friends. Like they drop their kids (laughs) off at school and they go to the gym and then they all go to lunch. And I was like, oh, I hate my life. I'm sitting here with my kids. So it was, it was so good though. It was. Yeah. Did you figure out why? Like looking back? Oh, for sure. For sure. As my middle child, Tristan started to grow and develop. I mean, even at a very young age, she started exhibiting signs that she was not developing normally, but nothing too extreme that Mm -hmm. it would cause us to be able to apply for any kind of program or any kind of help. But Mm -hmm. it was very obvious that she was not doing well. She was very suicidal at a tiny age. I mean, really years old. Oh, yeah five, six years old, she would just come and just be crying. And she would say, Mom, I know people can do it. I know that they can kill themselves. I just don't know how I've tried to hold my breath. I've tried to drown myself in the bathtub. And she just yeah, she would just and it was devastating. It was so, I did not know what to do. Like, did you take her seriously? Or were you just like, Oh yeah, she was not being manipulative at all. She she was overwhelmed by life. Oh wow. She was so overwhelmed and she would say, "I just want to be with God again. I just don't want to be here. <sighs> I I don't like it here. I just want to go back." And I I had oh to gosh. lie to her. I had to lie to her and tell her she couldn't be with Heavenly Father if she killed herself. <laughs> because <laughs> I because I was so scared. I yeah. was just so desperate for her yeah. to stay alive. I was, I looked at my husband and I said, she is one Google search away from being gone. Yeah. Like it's, and she was so little. I mean, the first time she really tried, like it was a, a real attempt. Um, she was 10 when we took her to the oh, crisis center. She was 10 goodness. years old and they had never had anyone that young there. So yeah. it was really, really it. She came very overwhelmed she came to this earth like, um, no, thanks. I think I wanted to do this and now I really don't. I so, changed my mind. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I'm out. Yeah, oh. she really did. She she really did. She's been overwhelmed, you know, pretty much from the get-go. Very, very extreme behavior issues. And so I feel like because I homeschooled all three of them, I was able to very quickly see mm-hmm. that there was something not right happening. And I also think it probably really helped her because she was so overwhelmed already by life mm-hmm. that yeah. being in a school environment probably would have pushed her over really the really hurt her. Yeah. I really, I really think that I really think, I mean, we just had her 18th birthday in November and I was like, we still have her. She's here. She's still here. Huge win. Huge win. I mean, we've been fighting for this girl. I mean, pretty much since she was a tiny little 
little thing. So yeah, so I feel like that's one of the reasons why that I was inspired to homeschool. It was very hard though, especially with Tristan struggling with her um, behavior issues and her mental issues. And let me tell you, all of those awesome parenting books, I like, I no joke, had them memorized. I was all in. I was so good. I knew exactly what to say with the tantrum. I knew what to do. And with her, none of it worked. None of it worked mm. at all. It just made it worse. It just made it worse. And I was like, okay, where's the book for whatever the freak is happening here? Because yeah. I don't know <laughs> what to do with this. So I have had challenges where I was like, that's not in the book. Not nearly to the level that you had. But I have relied on my Heavenly Father a lot to answer those questions that aren't in the book. <laughs> and so I'm wondering if that's how you, you know, dealt with those things. Yeah, definitely. I mean... I have to say it, it really wasn't very simple or easy for sure. And I don't feel like answers have ever really come really easily, but it's almost been like Heavenly Father has provided uh, support when I needed them. He's provided okay. a pathway to an answer. I mean, I've had to work my butt off mm -hmm. to find out what to do and how right. to, yeah. But it there was always kind of that, that, one person said this one thing that led me to this thing always, always. Yeah. But I mean, there definitely was a time, especially when, oh my gosh, when we had DCFS come over and I, I was so mad because I was like, you know, we have never, ever done anything to our kids. I was like, if they freaking come here and take my son away, who's already been so traumatized from his sister. I mean, we've had cop cars and ambulances and fire trucks and emergency yeah. runs to the ER over and over and over and over. And we've just had to chuck him at a neighbor's house. I mean, one time he walked out of his friend's house and we had, there were three cop cars, two fire trucks and an ambulance in our driveway. And he thought oh that she was dead. Goodness. He thought oh. she was dead. And his, the trauma in his mind and the trauma recorded in his own body from that. And so just having it further augmented by, you know, DCFS coming over to our house and questioning my parenthood that I had tried so hard right. to do and to mm -hmm. do better. And, and I did, I was succeeding. I was not my mom. I right. never, never was out of control. I never did anything that was questionable, but mm -hmm. to be accused of it, I was like, okay, Heavenly Father, we're done. Like, yeah. this is it. We're supposed to be <laughs> this like, like a common, common trend. I, I felt so betrayed. I felt like we're supposed to not have trials that are harder than what we can handle. This is, this is too much. Mm -hmm. Like I've done all this. I have taken her you know, to the hospital and tried and worked and cried and my marriage is falling apart and my family's falling apart and it's such a mess. And now this, like, right. no, uh-uh, I'm out. And it really was where, I mean, we were, Heavenly Father and I were in a big fight for like six weeks. And by we were in a big fight, I mean, I was in a big fight. He was totally fine. <laughs> He yeah. was like, okay, girl, you just get that out. Just, just waiting for you to here. come around. Yeah. I'll be here when you come back, but I'm just going to let you do that thing over there. Yeah. And then you just come on back. You just let me know when you're ready to talk again. Yeah. Just, uh, I'm just going to hang. You just throw your little fit over there in that corner. Yeah. And I, I mean, I did, I felt like I, 
I guess maybe growing up in the 80s and 90s, I inadvertently had this idea of kind of the cosmic vending machine where I had put all the good things in. I'd put all the money. You know, I went on a mission. I got married in the temple. I studied so hard. I went to so much therapy. I changed my family dynamic. I was not going to repeat Mm -hmm. the abuse that I grew up with and what I was going to do. I'd put it all in, man. Mm -hmm. All in. And when I pushed the A5 and crap came out, I was like, oh, (laughs) heck no. What is this? And so I was really mad and I felt really betrayed. I felt really betrayed. And so I, I really, I really did have to come to a more mature view of what life is all about and what the gospel is all about. And that, no, unfortunately we do not live in a world with a cosmic vending machine. Although that was kind of the idea. I don't know if you've listened to old talks, but it's like, if you do good, good will happen. If you do bad, bad will happen. I was like, okay, good, good. (laughs) Check mark, check mark. Wait a second. I got the suck deal. What's going on here? It was just felt like I, I had had maybe a more immature view of what the gospel truly is and what it's all about. I think it used to just be more black and white. Yeah. Like for when we grew up, like, I agree, you know, it was was a lot more black and white, a line Mm -hmm. down the middle. There was no gray for us. I don't think. Yeah. And so yeah. now it's a, a little bit different. It really was. And I love that we're getting into more of maybe not gray with doctrine, but the doctrine is very simple. It's not complicated. Yeah. It's yeah. love. I need to serve. clarify that. Yeah. I mean, the, the policies and the procedures have, like the culture. have become more flexible. Yes. Mm-hmm. The culture has become more flexible. Yeah. Before. The culture was black and white. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I think people sometimes still feel that way where, and I understand where my family doesn't fit that mold. Mm -hmm. My family Mm -hmm. does not work in the Mormon church going beautiful. We all walk in pretty in our Sunday, whatever. And we're sitting down. (laughs) Yeah. My family doesn't belong. And I know that people feel like, I guess I shouldn't go because my kid is gay or my kid is a drug addict or whatever, you know, they feel like I don't belong anymore because I'm not part of this family forever. Or my husband has left the church, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that are happening a lot. And to me, I felt like the gift of having this child that struggled so much was I realized no families are like that. We all are broken in our own way. And that's mm-hmm. why we need each other so badly. That's why I need to show up at church and I need to show up and say, hey, look, I have a kid with a severe mental illness. Let's talk about it. Let's talk yeah. about the support that I need. I mean, I remember feeling so sad that I couldn't get up in sacrament meeting and, and bear my testimony about how we were in the hospital all night and we need dinners, you know, but if she yeah. had cancer or if she had like cerebral palsy, then I could do that. Yeah. But the fact that she tried to kill herself, I can't do that. Yeah. And so I feel like just opening my mouth and being a voice for those dark and scary and just the struggles of mental illness that are so misunderstood because people just don't know what to do. They don't know how to help. They don't know how to sit with someone who's in a deep, dark struggle of mental illness. And so we just, we need to talk about it more. We need to be able to, but when you're in it, 
you're so broken and vulnerable that the last thing you want to do is be like, so anyway, when I was at the ER till 2 a.m. with my kid, yeah. Yeah. you know, you just, you can't, you know, you can't, you're so broken and hurt and the pain is so big that the last thing you want to do is open it up for more vulnerability. Yeah. So looking back, do you feel like it's easier to talk about the experiences now that you're not oh, like, yeah. right in the thick of them? Oh, definitely. I mean, we're still struggling for sure. Yeah, I was going to say, you're probably still in the thick of oh, it, yeah. but you're just able to so, sh- express yourself a little bit better. Or yeah, like, what point was more. she diagnosed? So you said she very first started having symptoms and she was like five or six. Yeah. And then. Yep. So we started her in therapy at seven years old. And I remember her therapist saying, if I didn't know you, I would think that she was raised on the street by some drug addict parents or something. Why? Because she was just so, her behaviors were so like trauma born. So was there any other behaviors besides the like suicidal comments or suicidal obsession and attempts and self-harming definitely self-harming by that age oh yes and then massive meltdowns like fits that were so extreme and so overwhelming and loud and like kicking holes in the wall and slamming her head into the wall until she would pass out and ripping her hair out and, you know, hitting herself and scratching herself, cutting herself, like all, all the things that are just, I remember waking up every morning and feeling this terror. Like, is she still alive? Like what's (gasps) going to happen? What's going to happen today? Yeah. (laughs) And even going into her room and just like feeling her chest to see if she was still breathing, like to just see if she was still alive. It was just horrible. Oh, that sounds It was horrible. It was a horrible, horrible, horrible way to live. Do you still feel like that now or like? No, not as much. You got to keep the story going. I'm like, (laughs) what's the ending? I know. Yeah. Like definitely not at the ending. She's still, bless her. We... She's a senior in high school, uh, technically. Um, I, we're really hoping she'll graduate. She's, she's trying, which is great. Um, we did end up having to take her to a residential treatment center when she was about 16, which was a very awful experience, although it was good in the sense that it was come to Jesus moment for her. And she was like, that sucked so bad that I don't want. And she got into some very damaging and erratic behaviors in her teenage years, especially early teenage years, which were so dangerous and very scary. You know, just you name it, she was doing it like she it was not good. Of course, of course, the kids who are nice and accepting and welcoming are all the druggy kids because they just, mm-hmm. I mean, they don't fit either, right? They're right. So rejected. at that point, was she not being homeschooled? Yeah. So she she started going kind of. She went every other day to just like PE and dance and some other fun classes in eighth grade. And then in ninth grade, she and this is because she wanted to go to school. I did not want her to go. She wanted to go, and I felt like it needed to be her choice. And so I let her go, and we kind of eased into it. And then ninth grade, um, she started going full-time, but she didn't actually go a whole lot. 
She was okay. shoplifting. She was yeah doing all sorts of. She was of, not at school. Yeah, she was. <laughs> she was not in school. She should have been, yeah. but she wasn't. And then COVID Safe. happened, and so everyone went home, and and she ended up having some really difficult challenges and behaviors. And so, yeah, we ended up at the advice of several therapists, putting her into a treatment center. And it was awful. It, it's just not a good, I mean, you can imagine the girls that are there. They've really yeah. had problems. You know, they've really been mm-hmm. abused. They've really had some difficult challenges. And so to be in that environment where, you know, although she was, you know, hanging out with those friends and doing those behaviors, she did grow up in a home where that was not her experience. She Mm -hmm. was in a very safe space where she was fed and taken care of and loved and two parents and we're not, we're not drug addicts, you know? So, so she definitely witnessed and experienced some things there that were very, very difficult and challenging, but, and that was probably one of the hardest decisions I've ever made. And it actually was so hard to make because I couldn't feel the spirit at all. The only thing I could feel was anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. And I know God never speaks through anxiety. Never. He always speaks to me through peace. Even if it's like a no answer, it's still peaceful. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I was so anxious and so sad and overwhelmed that I just had to rely on Jay, my husband to, he was like, no, we got to do this. This is what we got to do. Yeah. Did you feel like with all that anxiety that you were making the wrong decision or? No, I didn't know because it was just too much. uh, It was just overwhelming. It was too much. I knew that I that the anxiety isn't the answer ever, but I couldn't feel anything else. Anything yeah. else. So how long how long was she there? Three months. She was there for three months. Wow. And that's a long time. It was. It was really long and it was really hard and it was really sad. And yeah. um when she got was out Was that the kind where you could only talk to her once a week and they didn't have that. let her have any Oh yeah. If that, at the first like three weeks, we couldn't talk to her at all. Really? Yep. And then every time we talked to her, I mean, if you can imagine your baby girl just crying and saying, get me out of here. They are so mean. This place is awful. It was hard. It was hard to be like, sorry, you know, you have to stay. I can't even imagine. I had some difficult parenting issues that I thought were, you know, pretty rough and yeah they are nothing, yeah. no Don. it was nothing compared to what you have dealt with and I just really feel for you and I'm so glad that you're willing to share your story because oh yeah I think it needs to be told yeah that's what I yeah. was gonna say I, I think there are so many people struggling and just quietly struggling there's lots of big especially mental health yeah, big well, challenges out there. A few years ago, um, the there's this woman, Jane Clayson Johnson. She um, is a member of the church, and she was uh, like, she was like a news anchor or something. And um, she wrote a book called "Silent Souls Weeping." Oh yeah, and I've read it. Yes, mm-hmm. and I read it a couple of. It was probably like five or six years ago because we had a family member, an extended family member, who was going through some, some mental health problems. And so I was like, I just need to figure out how to understand this a little bit better. And, um, a lot of her story is about, um, postpartum mental illness. Um, but I just really felt like 
I learned so much because it wasn't just um, postpartum. It was more like, you know, this is not something that someone can explain. Like you have to, I guess you have to experience it to be able to understand it. And you really um, do. So if we can even, you know, listen more or read more books about it and, and, you know, have some sort of empathy for the people who are suffering. Like you said, if it was cancer, it wouldn't be, you know, anything at all. You know, you could just say, oh, hey, you know, I'm getting my chemotherapy today. (laughs) My family needs help. But um, yeah. And it's so easy to say that. Yeah. There's a lady in my ward who's, whose son was diagnosed with the same thing that Tristan has. Well, not officially, mm-hmm. but it's called borderline personality disorder. Yeah. And so borderline personality disorder tendencies. And he was diagnosed at 15. But she has, I think, nine kids. And one of her kids is actually in a wheelchair, has to be fed by a tube every half an hour or she'll die. She has to have diapers changed. She has to like, she's 20, but she's like, her whole body is, you know, rolled in on itself and she drools and she's a lot of work. She's a lot of work. And her, but her son with borderline, he ended up um, dying by suicide last year. And I was talking to her about it. And as we were crying together and she just said, I would take. 10 of my wheelchair daughters over the borderline. And I think I cried for a month because I have felt that way. I have felt like if this could just be seen, like if it were obvious, like someone in a wheelchair, then, then the help could be here and the help could come. Mm -hmm. And I love how you said, Heidi, I love how you said, if we could just try to understand more. And I think something that I've really thought a lot about is our very first covenant that we make when we are baptized to mourn with those that mourn. Yeah. And it doesn't mean, you know, to, to fix, it doesn't mean to come nope. up with a solution. It means to sit with, mm-hmm. to just sit with, and maybe don't even say anything. Right. And just listen and hear and just be there with in the pain. And I think we struggle with that. I think, have you noticed we can laugh and we can have fun and we can do whatever, all emotions, even anger, everything's acceptable, except when we cry, then we have to apologize. I'm sorry. I'm crying. You know, I'm sorry. (laughs) This is like, why? Why is that a problem? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Why? Why can't we just cry together? We feel uncomfortable. We want to say, oh, well, if you just maybe have you considered, you know, we want to fix it. We want to get out of the discomfort of sadness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We don't feel comfortable with it. We don't feel safe with it. And just to have someone sit with in sorrow and in pain is so huge. Yeah. It's so big because we just don't know how to do it. And I think it's really scary. Part of that, I like how you said say nothing because part of it is, you know, there is not really anything you can do as a friend no. <laughs> for that no. kind of a situation other than just sit. Yeah. And I do say I have, I have at times just said, I'm so sorry that you're dealing with this. Like, yeah. I feel like I had to say something. And so that's what I say. And I don't know if that's right or not. No, I don't. I think it's great because you're saying, I see you and I see your pain. And that, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's all. 
that's all. I mean, it's like I have a friend whose son um, died by an accident last year. He was 14 years old. It was a um, go-kart accident. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget because we'd been friend we've been friends since we were three years old. So it's been 43 years that we've been friends. And I went to her house right after he passed away, he passed away on Sunday morning. And I was there on Sunday afternoon. It was just family there. And nobody said anything like, oh, aren't you glad you have an eternal family? Or no, aren't you so glad yeah. that you're going to be together forever? And doesn't that bring you peace? Nobody said that. Everyone just sat and the pain was so deep and profound that it was beautiful. It was so amazing. I've never experienced anything like it, that we just sat and we cried together and then mm -hmm. we laughed together and then whatever organically happened, that's what we was, did. Yeah, and it was okay. It was so beautiful. It was such a beautiful experience, but it was so painful. The pain yeah. was so big and so deep, but nobody had to say anything, you know, just that we saw her, that we were sitting mm -hmm. with her and seeing her and just wanting to be with her in her pain because we tend to want to run away from people who are in pain, especially mentally ill people, yeah. because they're scary. Like, I don't know how, I don't even know what's wrong with you. Like, I don't know how to talk to you. I don't know how to help you. It's not like the mentally ill person themselves are scary. It's the mental illness that's scary because we can't understand it. Yeah. We don't understand yeah. it. And so we tend to shy away from it. Like, oh, she has severe depression and she just doesn't come out of her house. She probably just wants to be left alone. I won't bug her. You know, I don't want to bother yeah. her. And it's, yeah, it's really hard. It's really hard to know what to do. But I think to just feel seen, I think maybe bottom line, that's what we all just want. Yeah. We all just want to feel seen and loved, yeah. you know. <laughs> this is super trivial, but the movie Avatar has come out the second part has come out recently. And so yeah, we're yeah. watching the first one. And at the end, they say, I see you. And I was like, oh my gosh, is that yeah. where that phrase came from? Because it's really, <laughs> it's a really strong, powerful moment in the movie. And I was like, that's kind of what we're doing when we say it with each other, I see you, I see your pain. I see what's happening in your life. Yeah. I feel I'm mourning with you. And so it kind of means a lot to me now because like, it really does mean I, I see your soul. I, I know what's happening in your life and I honor it and I recognize yeah. it. Yeah. I love that. And I, I actually, the last couple of years, and again, just felt very led. Um, I started really getting into meditation and breath, and I did a yoga teacher training 200 hours. So I graduated oh, as a you. yoga teacher last December. So I've been teaching yoga for over a year. I've been teaching kids mostly how to breathe and how to feel. And that definitely mm -hmm. is yoga philosophy is the light within mm -hmm. me sees and honors the light within Jeez. you. Yep. Yes. I, yep. I started doing yoga like five or six years. No, it's been like eight years now. I haven't done it in a couple of years, but, um, I really want to get back into it because I feel like it calmed my mind. Oh, yeah. Just knowing how to breathe, knowing how to relax and quiet your mind and think of nothing and not stress. 
Um, that's super helpful. And that's how you feel. That's how you feel connected, at least with me. That's how I feel connected to God. That's when Mm -hmm. I really feel him and hear him is when my mind goes quiet. And I call the voice in my head, Karen, because she hates everyone and she's afraid of everyone. And she's a huge biatch. So when Karen starts to go off on whatever, you know, and so I can do yoga and Karen goes super quiet and I can just get behind it and be the witness of it instead of engaging in it especially my anxiety and fear. And I had this moment with Heavenly Father where it was funny. I felt like we were sitting at a poker table and I was sitting across from him and I was like, okay, we're doing this. I'm all in. And I took all my chips and everything and I just (laughs) pushed them over to him. And I said, I am in, I'm not backing out. I'm all in. I totally trust you that you're going to take her. You're going to do what needs to happen you know, if she goes and she needs to be with you, then that's what needs to be. Like I'm, I'm going to trust the process. And Mm -hmm. I remember feeling so strongly one time when I was praying so hard and just so sad at some of her choices. And I just felt Heavenly Father say to me, um, so why are you thinking this is not her path? Like this is her journey. Like we're good. We're, we're, I've got this. She's doing, we're good. We're going to figure this out. And I was like, wait, how can her journey be smoking pot and like, you know, know. sneaking out with boys? How can that be the right thing and not going to seminary and not going to young women and all the things that, you know, in your mind, you're like, this is what makes a good person. Yeah. You know, how could that be her path? How could that possibly be what she was supposed to do or her path? And I, it was mind blowing to me that I was like, oh yeah, I guess there is really no one path because every single Mm -hmm. person is so different. Every journey is so different. And he knew, he knew her, he knew her before she came. He knew what her challenges would be. He knew that he was putting her in my home for a reason. And I think part of it is because of how I was raised. I have a very good trauma response. I'm, I'm really good at responding to trauma because I, and, you know, I grew it. up responding to trauma, yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it was a gift. It was a blessing to be able to disconnect emotionally and just move forward and keep yeah. functioning because the experiences were so extreme and so difficult and challenging and just yeah. so that's, sad, just so that's sad. That's interesting that you, um, recognized that. Oh yeah. It, yeah. That, you know, you could move on because of how you were, yeah. what you experienced as a child. Yeah. Um, so in summary, Dawn, you are good with things now. Well, Is that what I'm saying? Or are you um, at peace maybe? Um, <laughs> Is that what I'm hearing? I still have my um, angry days. <laughs> Heavenly Father knows I'm his special child. He's like, oh, here she goes again. She's going to, okay, everyone just plug yours for a half minute while she goes off. I definitely feel there are days where I'm like, seriously, we're doing this again. But I okay. definitely do feel, and honestly, yoga and meditation has been a massive part of it and learning how to breathe, learning about breath. So I feel like, um, yes, it. Ha- I mean, in truth, and this is the most cheesy, awful thing that I hate it when people say, but truly, truly, I am so grateful for the challenges (laughs) and the pain I am because Mm -hmm. I never would have 
sought out the learning and growth that I have in my life without, I had to be forced, basically forced to my knees. I mean, further than my knees, flat, prone on the earth in pain and sorrow Mm -hmm. to be humble enough to be like, okay, tell me what to do. Tell me where to go to grow. Tell me what to do to learn. Please help me. Please Mm -hmm. help me. Like drowning, just drowning, desperately seeking help and breath and anything. And so without that desperate need for help, I don't think I would have sought answers as, you know, desperately as I did. And I wouldn't have been able to grow as much as I have. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I feel like we need to wrap up just because of the recording situation, Nicole. I guess, yeah, we can move on to our final question. What advice would you give to your former self about becoming a mother? Huh. (laughs) I think that even though I wasn't aware that I had expectations you know, like, oh my gosh, they're not walking yet. Oh, she's supposed to be talking like all her other friends are talking, you know, especially when they're little. Mm -hmm. And then as they get older, and I know people say it all the time, like, just chill, just be, just be present and, and love it and experience it and be with it and allow it to be what it is. I really, really have learned that there are very few things that you really do need to be stressed about. Very, very few. Mm -hmm. And just parenting as much as possible. I know it's not possible always, but as much as possible from a place of love, that doesn't mean that you don't discipline and teach and correct, but it means that it comes from a place of true and pure love. And so I feel like that's the savior. I feel like when I watch the chosen and he's talking to someone and I'm just like, bawling my eyes out because of just the way he's talking to them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, can you come talk to me like that? Can you help me, my friend? You know, and I'm just, yeah. I feel like if I could parent my children like that, it yeah. wouldn't matter what we were doing. They would feel so loved yeah. and so, so wanted and so needed. That, and that just that real love, just that real love. And just being honest about yourself, like I make mistakes so much and I'm so sorry and I apologize and just telling the truth and not having the pride of I'm the mom and I'm the right one and it doesn't matter, you know, because you do feel that way. You're like, just obey me, you little stinker, you know, just listen. And instead of (laughs) acting that way, being like, okay, let me hear you. Let me try to understand your perspective. Let me show you love. Let me love you first, love first, then teach, then decide, then that's what I wish I would have known. I just really wish. And I also wish I would have spoken Italian to my kids from the very get go. I really regret that. That's the other thing. But that's, just throw that's that in there neither here nor this. there. That's neither here also, nor there. Also teach your kids a second language. <laughs> yes. And my uh, And that's it. <laughs> Oh, thank you awesome. so much for all your awesome oh, work. Yeah. Thanks for having thank me, you guys. I appreciate your trust in this me. This has been awesome. Yeah. I appreciate being able to share. It's it's hard and heavy stuff, but thanks for creating that safe space for me to be able to share it. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us for another episode. We hope you found inspiration for your own life. And hopefully we're as funny as we think we are. Find us on Instagram at The Motherful Podcast for updates on each episode.